If you follow our show closely, again, lately, we've been talking about regarding the concept of democracy. As a matter of fact, if you follow our previous episodes regarding the word democracy among the countries on the continent of Africa, for example, look at the country of Burkina Faso and look at the country of Niger and also Nigeria, again, on and on. All those countries today are undergoing this what we call democratic transition. Now, make no mistake, too often we tend to link two things together with the word democracy. One is the concept of economic stability. Another one is the military power. However, what happened to the country today that we are considered as the poorest, or should we say, the most impoverished nations on the continent of Africa. How about the nation of Burundi? And how much do we understand the current situation related to this economic deficit? As a matter of fact, that today, the partnership between U.S. and the United Nations reached their broad arms to the nation, not just about this political instability, and also to save people in order to put them back to this what we call a decent lifestyle. Well, it's not easy. And again, needless to say, it's so much easier said than done. But in this episode... Besides talking about the political instability, we also need to understand what is happening to the countries who are considered as the poorest nations in the world. Just because they're economically deficit, does that mean we can also ignore their political instability? And also, what about the coup at this moment? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, again, which is Scott Morgan. Scott Morgan has been the president of Red Eagle Enterprises since its inception in November 2012. He uses his experiences from serving in the U.S. military to address various projects. Currently, he's based in Washington, D.C. Again, he specializes in U.S. policy towards particularly the countries in Africa, focusing on security and religious liberty concerns south of Sahara. Well, Scott, and welcome back to The Missing Piece, and happy weekend. Thank you, my brother. It's glad to be back with you. Scott, again, as we mentioned in the intro, one question that when we talk about the nation of Burundi, we have to really ask. Now, given our background of the country, now it's one of the critical nations in Central Africa. 11 million people made up the entire country. However, as we mentioned before, this nation is long been considered as the poorest of countries and also the politics had been over the years marked as what we call the keywords human rights violation, killings, disappearance, torture. Of course, we're looking at the political corruption as well. Now, Scott, before we get into something much deeper, what do you know about the nation and why this nation is still considered today as the poorest countries in the continent of Africa. Your thoughts? Part of it is location, and part of it is history. As, you know, going back to the horrific events of Rwanda in 1994, similar events actually took place in Burundi, although not on the scale that we, are, that we saw 
during that horrific episode where hundreds of and then we we saw that fighting spill over into the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo, where it's still rages today. That is still having an impact on on Burundi itself. There is a militant movement in the country called Red Taraba that has taken up arms against the government. They're still active at this time. It was two weeks ago, actually, when the group actually launched a raid on Bushimura. We do not know. Casualties were very minimal in that incident. And going back to the political situation there, uh, during COVID, the country was in the midst of a political crisis when then President Nkura Ziza, who would later succumb to an illness believed to be was trying to subvert the Constitution of Burundi to run it, run for a third term as president, which did not happen, which now we have the current incumbent president. As you know, the, the economy has, like in several other African countries, the economy has suffered, partly due to COVID and all the restrictions, the conflict in the Eastern DRC, where Burundi also maintains a small troop presence, searching for Red Tarabra. That is not, that does not come cheap. And so there are several factors that raise, always, there's always a risk of some type of action. There have been efforts to con- by the government to, con- to control certain religious groups. The government tried to, tried to tell a Muslim group that wanted to name its own imam, the government actually stepped in and said, no, we want you to have this person. There is also, and they also driven a, a small faction of the Catholic Church out of the country. Some of the things that are concerns about Burundi don't often land on the radar of the 24-hour legacy media, but still in the region of uh, Burundi is a concern, even though they do also have a peacekeeping contingent in Somalia right now. So, so it's Burundi is an interesting case in an interesting region for interesting re- for some of the for some of the basic reasons which we've seen cause concern in West Africa. Mm. Well, again, Scott, let's continue to dig deeper in the history. If I'm not mistaken, of course, we understand that this nation has been through thick and thin when we look at this political transformation and we look at this political uncertainty. But I want to remind our viewers that, again, historically speaking, this country declared its independency from Belgium in the year of 1962. But since then, Scott, this is where we might need your help. The history shows that the nation of Burundi has been entangled with presidential assassination, coup, and also ethnic massacre. You know, again, Scott, historically speaking, I'm I'm very glad you mentioned the nation of Rwanda because this is one of the critical history that no one should deny and we should not forget, you know, what happened in Rwanda. But meanwhile, let's go back to Burundi. What does that mean? Or how should we understand 
when we say the country it's in uh, entangled or has long been entangled with what we called ethnic massacre, what does that mean to all of us? I think the best way to often describe it, in which we Western observers actually miss, that more often than not, in African countries, all internal politics are tribal. Mm. You know, we often, you know, at least, uh, you know, the Rwanda situation is actually the best example of a horrific action. In some ways, we're actually seeing this as well in Nigeria because some of the cases, you know, it's almost, you don't hear about the conflict between, sometimes it's geographically regional, regional, which, like, uh, what makes the situation in Nigeria and Nigeria interesting is the Aruba tribe, which is prevalent along that region, along the Nigerian-Nigerian border. And that is one of the concerns about why will an intervention actually work because of the potential blowback against Nigeria. But as we've seen in, also in history, what, we, what we're seeing in Burundi, you know, has, has been horrible. You know, the Hutu-Tutu conflict, which was actually orchestrated by the colonial powers by where they actually picked winners and losers, like Belgium. So one tried to just say, we like how you, you will, we like how you do things. So you're going to actually run the colony on our behalf against the, against the, against, against the, against the best wishes of the other tribe and how they could actually subside. So, you know, these conflicts are actually a lasting legacy of European colonialism. And that's why you see a lot of the Pan-African movement actually on European colonialism as one of the root causes for a lot of these conflicts currently in Africa right now. So mm. because of basically how the white, how the, the white Europeans actually do the maps, do the current map of Africa without any specific respect to tribal lands. Mm. There is there is some merit to that argument. We cannot deny that. As, and as you know, Bur- Burundi, you know, has a you know a traditional kingdom who and has you know, and they have suffered, as you know, political assassinations and coups or whatever, and, and as several other countries in the region. But Burundi often does not get the attention that had situated. Specifically, since 1994, that the issues between the Congo and Rwanda have created. So, that, you know, that is an interesting uh, dynamic. Some may actually said, some people may actually say, you wonder why Burundi often gets overlooked, for lack of a better term. Scott, I'm very glad that previously you used the word called colonialism. Now, when we look at some of the countries in Africa or on the African continent, that too often we tend to ignore the fact that a lot of countries today are still living under the shadow of colonialism. Now, you are the expert on studying particularly particularly from the U.S. policy to those countries in Africa, 
Now, let me ask you the next question. Again, help us with better understanding. By looking at the situation of Burundi today, how should we understand the influence and also the impact of modern colonialism? So, does, so in other words, how much should we care about what happened in the past, the historical trauma, the historical wounds, and also continue to carry on, also link to modern political uncertainty, particularly with the nation or for the nation of Burundi. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, being a former Belgian colony, you know, you saw the gov- you saw the colonial government set up like the European co- European government. Like it's one of the criticisms we've had about French, well, French former French colonies, and, and to an extent. Former British colonies, you have one strong centralized leader, and then power diffuses from that office gradually. And, you know, the colonial, former colonial powers, as I briefly mentioned, specifically chose one tribe that they thought they could rely on to actually govern the govern the colony as it moved along towards its transition. Mm. Some we're I, we're still seeing the signs of resentment by by some of the other by the other tribes in the country because more often than not the tribes that were chosen to rule by the British by Belgium by France they're still the ruling parties today they have not and that leads to the sense of frustration and why you know you see the public discourse become so rancorous in some of these countries. So it's almost, they're not democratic states as in, as in the sense that those, to an extent, those of us here in the U.S., Canada, and Western Europe have seen, or often before the electorate connects, will actually say, okay, you know, you've ruled long enough. We're going to give the other part, this other party a chance to rule. You know, you see people and sometimes families, the families that were actually, some in some cases, handpicked to rule, still in power. You know, we saw it in Gabon with that coup, with the Bongo family being in charge of a, of the country for more than fifty years. Mm. The same can be said about Togo as well, which the same country family has run the country literally since independence, and so that raises the level of disenchantment amongst. Especially the younger people who see, who see like this, this family gets all the perks, but I have to struggle daily. That builds resentment hmm. and a desire for change, and then it also and that'll make it makes it easier for others, whether they be like jihadist groups or whatever, to say like you you don't like how this is the country's being run to address your concerns. Scott, I want to talk about going back to the issue with poverty again. It's hard to imagine today, in the year of 2023, we could uh, we could still label that certain countries. Again, we're looking at Burundi as one of the world's poorest countries in the world. Now, when we look at the poverty within the country. People tend to say, well, because of the political instability, because the political shortage, that basically explains why the nation is in poverty. 
But meanwhile, I want to ask the question, Scott, from from our viewers' perspective: How much should we continue to care about this nation if nation continues suffers in poverty? So, in other words, do we still necessarily to、uh, guard the nation or put more hum- humanitarian effort into the nation? Meanwhile, we're looking at this nation has already been labeled and called. As the poorest the countries in the world, what do you think of that? One thing, one kind of thought I have is we ignore situations like this at our own peril.、Mm. We could actually be in a benefit where there could be a natural disaster, like earthquake or a hurricane or an event like that could bring. Catastrophic change, and then they don't have the adequate mechanisms set up in place to actually deal with the crisis. Just like what we're witnessing now with Libya after the dam burst、mm. in Derna, you know, you actually have two funct- semi-functional governments in a dysfunctional country that that realize they have to talk to each other now.、Mm. Has Burundi, you know? One of the things for about Burundi is Burundi has been overlooked in so many instances.、Mm-hmm. You know, it has been it has been overshadowed by events. You know, in its neighbor to the north, Rwanda, and to an extent, the Congo. You know, the larger news were the the tense, the dynamics between Rwanda and the DRC make for great press coverage.、Mm-hmm. But you know, Burundi more often than not is just like is just considered to be an overthought. Scott, I got two more questions before letting you go. Now let's talk about the presence of U.S. government. Again, as I mentioned in the intro, Burundi needs help, and not only that needs help financially, but also needs help politically. I want you to talk about the role of the U.S. and also talk about the role of the United Nation. You know, we have to say that previously, whenever you and I we had discussion regarding any countries in Africa, we can see and we could clearly examine and understand the presence of U.S. policy on the ground. Now, Scott, you are the expert. Walk us through. How should we understand the role of the U.S. when we are looking at the nation of Burundi? So, in other words, is it still just financially supportive to the nation, or U.S. today should definitely sit on the sideline and just wait until to see if United Nation gonna take the first approach or take the first step uh, 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 in order to help the people in the country? What do you think of that? You know, the U.S. should definitely has been approached, but you don't see the efforts publicized as much. You know, you generally do not see the images by the agency for international development showing when they actually donate when they're donating tons of food or providing military equipment to other countries like. What we did with Zambia earlier this week with helicopters, or even to Ghana with warships.、Mm. You know, 
everything you know brandy's seems to be done low-key mm. like as we were talking about the, with the situation that took place with the troop movements in Bujumbura the past week i went you know there were no travel warnings or notices from the u.s embassy so so obviously they didn't see it as a threat i mean see i shouldn't say see it as a threat they don't they didn't see any anything that should they should warn the american the american peoples whether they're there as part of a missionary trip by their church or working there as an ngo they didn't see anything that anything necessary to warn the mm. citizens about mm. you know and could the and could the un and could the UN do anything? It's the same, you know, it's the same principle. You generally, although there are human rights concerned, you know, Brandy is a candidate to join the human right, UN Human Rights Council in January. But you generally don't see many complaints about Burundi except for the poverty. Hmm. Scott, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking you the last question. Again, we're looking at the nation constitutes of 11 million people. I mean, keep in mind, this is not a small number. But again, we're looking at the people who are looking for hope and the people who are looking for better change. Again, this nation has been well known for the human rights violation. Of course, we're looking at the gang rape of alleged government opponents and, you know, the killings and disappearance. Now, as America continues to champion for democracy of course this is not a job for the u.s and also this is not a task for one single country alone how do you think that the international community should put this collective effort together not only again i don't want to use the word to solve but let's just say to minimize the threat for human rights violation and also to minimize the threat to the citizens and just live in a decent life and again to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the nation of Burundi. Your final thoughts. Uh, Burundi is a member of the UN, you know, it's a candidate member for the UN Human Rights Council. It has system, you know, it's a member of several major human rights treaties. Um, you know, the country also has to go through the UPR process at the Human Rights Council where the human rights record is reviewed every five years by mm. a tri-care group of three nations. So that is always one, of the, one way to do it, to hold them accountable. But another thing is when it comes to accountability, when was the last time we saw anybody, whether they're from the U.S. State Department or the EU or anybody else, when was the last time we heard of any senior foreign diplomatic mission going to Bujumbura? Mm. It, it, ha it has been a while. Probably not since, you know, President, the late President Kurziza tried to amend the Constitution to allow him to himself to run for a third term. Mm. So we're so we're talking, it's been about you know three years. So basically, it appeared Burundi appears to be diplomatically isolated. This whole ending that isolation is a 
is a great first step to move forward. Hmm. That's right, Scott. Again, I agree with you 100%. I mean, again, if you want to help and if you would like to receive the help and support, isolation surely is not the answer. I mean, again, given the fact we're looking at another country, for example, North Korea. And of course, we're looking at this, the consequences of isolation. Again, going back to the saying is, if you want help or if you need help, well, you need to open your door first because no one is going to feed you through the iron gate. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Scott Morgan. Again, Scott Morgan has been the president of Red Eagle Enterprises since its inception in November 2012. He's located in Washington, D.C., and he specializes in U.S. foreign policy towards Africa, focusing on security and also religious liberty. Well, brother, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you regarding the nation of Burundi, and we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to pay attention to the ongoing political changes among the countries in Africa. So thank you so much for doing this.